Welcome to Occupational Therapy. We're talking with the biggest songwriter of our time, uh, Pooh Bear. He's also my sometimes collaborator. We just worked on Bear and a Banjo together where we collaborated with T-Bone Burnett as well as Bob Dylan, which was exciting for me. But he's used to working with much, much bigger people like Justin Bieber, Ed Sheeran, DJ Khaled on the regular. And uh, he's known for his songs, Desposito, uh, I'm the one, what do you mean, where are you now, and all sorts of other songs where he asks questions. And this conversation was unique because Pooh is someone that I've spent a lot of time with that uh, I've been very fortunate to see how he works, and I've picked up a lot uh, by just watching him work. He's probably the greatest vocal producer of all time and uh, one of the most successful top-line writers and producers of all time because his songs get streamed billions and billions of times by uh, Justin Bieber and countless other artists that he works with. He's worked with Usher. He has worked with uh, bands like 112. He's worked with Yellow Wolf. And, you know, with me, we've worked with DJ Khaled together. We've worked with G-Eazy, Steven Tyler. And um, he's got a really amazing story about perseverance. So uh, this conversation is a two-parter. We started, believe it or not, in uh, the early days of COVID on uh, March 31st. And today is... May 17th. Wow. So this is a, a two-parter, but uh, a really great conversation with a really, really interesting person who has, uh, I think, one of the most unique stories uh, of all the people that I've met uh, in terms of how he found his success in the music business. So without further ado, here is Pooh Bear on Occupational Therapy. Dude, this is going to be the most exciting episode ever of Occupational Therapy. Zach is going to tell you what we're doing here. We're just gonna we're just gonna record for like thirty minutes. Okay, I believe you. Okay, Pooh Bear, nice to see you, my man. Happy birthday! Nice to see you too. Thank you very much. Finally nice in my thirties. Uh, so you know, Jared's my good friend, as you know or may not know. I'm sure you know. He was the number one jingle writer in the world for about ten years there, and now he has self-proclaimed self-proclaimed king of jings. Now he has a you know two-year moratorium on his ability to write jingles, and he's looking for his next profession. So we're interviewing some of the most amazing, accomplished uh, industry professionals that we can find across all genres of art, music, food, you name it. We're, we have them on Ooh. occupational therapy. So we got you here, Pooh Bear, to talk to you to see if maybe Jared could become like a pretty hot you know hip-hop producer in the future. I know he's got some credits. Pop. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so... What, what, this is like, I'm the king of uh, hyping people because everyone that's been on this thing has been like the most, we've had the best, you know, rock photographer of all time. We had the guy who like had the Beatles label and signed James Taylor. We had oh, wow. you know, JaVale McGee coming up. We've had the guy who created Modern Family. Basically everyone I go to dinner with Craig's, at, <laughs> to Craig's with. Oh, we've had <laughs> Craig on there too. But um, Pooh Bear literally is like, you could look around um, at anyone in the world right now uh, for the last 20 years. He is by far the biggest pop songwriter of the last decade, I would say. I mean, the numbers support it. Um, Thank you. He's, and I'm going to read his resume. People know the resume now, but why I wanted to talk to Pooh Bear is I wanted to find out not only for me, but for other people who might want to be professional songwriters, how they get from where Pooh Bear started to now. And Pooh Bear has written for... Uh, his first uh, songs were with 112 Peaches and Cream, which everyone always goes, oh, I didn't know Pooh Bear wrote that. Uh, anywhere. We could do it anywhere. It was the first one in 1997. Wow. Sorry. Wow. I in 97, I yeah. was living in my, like, with my parents. I didn't even know how to like, wipe my own butt. I was <laughs> never mind making money. But um, then he went on to uh, 
write tons of R&B hits for Usher. Later on, there's... The, and he'll tell you all about it. There was a period where he wasn't working as much, but then there's the Bieber period and everything since with the biggest songs of the streaming era. Um, where are you now? What do you mean? Desposito, uh, Yummy. I mean, uh, it goes on and on and on. It's And, you know, collaborating not only with Bieber, but, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, could read your resume all day, but I kind of want to start at the beginning and find out where did it all start? How old were you? How did you even think that you were going to be a songwriter? And tell us about how that all started. Okay. Um, it all started when I was about like eight years old. I used to, um, I used to sneak and listen to Stevie Wonder, um, a song title. I just called to say, I love you. And I used to sneak cause, um, my mother and my father, when they were together, were really religious. So any music that wasn't of God was, um, prohibited. Um, secular music was prohibited. So, uh, I used to sneak and listen to Stevie Wonder and I just, I used to I remember make like feeling this amazing feeling from hearing Stevie Wonder. And I used to think like, man, I wish I could like make people feel the way this music is making me feel right now. And, um, from, I think from that was the first time I, I had it in my mind. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I just knew it had something to do with making people feel something from music. And, um, and from there, you know, we went through a, a series of, you know, our parents getting a divorce and tornado and being homeless. And then finally we ended up in Atlanta and I started putting together like kids groups. Started putting together kids groups in my neighborhood. I'm sorry. I'm here with my mom. I apologize. Okay. Wait, tell me though a little bit about, um, because you glossed over this whole thing with you were living in one part of America and then the tornado and the, the homelessness. What happened there? Because that's important to your story. Okay. Um, just, you know, being in a tornado, my, my parents split up and then the tornado came in 89 and it left, uh, left, you know, it tore up our apartment. So thank God we had a basement. So we were able to, to be in a basement. But when we got out, it was, we were outside and we probably didn't have another place to live for, I don't know, another like year, maybe another year. And so we went, you know, we slept everywhere and ended up a church, gave my mom some money. And um, we ended up moving to Atlanta, Georgia, which was like at the time, like the new New York of the South. It was like the new music mecca of, this, of the music business. So, and then from there, I mean, we started putting the other kids groups and doing everything like that. And then, I always wrote songs. I was always writing the songs in my group and writing those records. And my cousin, you know, when I turned about 14, no, 15, my cousin was like, you know, you can make money writing songs. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no way. And he was like, yeah, he said, I'm going to put you with 112. If they like you, then maybe they'll work with you. <laughs> so he put me with them. And that's when we did um, Anywhere. We could do it anywhere. And also Love is Such a Crazy Thing for Pink on her album when she was more like, she was burgundy. She wasn't really pink. She was singing R&B music. <laughs> and how old were you at this time when you're writing? For I was, I was about, I was just like 15 turning 16, like the end of 15 turning 16. I was in high school and, um, I just kind of once anywhere came out and it became um, a hit song, you know, I just remember my teacher telling me, you need to study, you need to do your homework because, only one percent people making the music business. Okay. Hey, so I have to. I have to hold on. Can we? Can we? Is it? Is it possible to time out to pause this? Pause yeah, my interview. Pause. My mother. Pause. My mother needs. 
Okay. Do you want to hit us back in five? Totally good. We'll, we'll hit, we'll hit pause. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Pooh Bear. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. Hey, guys. Hey, man. All right. Hey. So, Pooh Bear, uh, this is the second part. You, you're the only guest that's had a two-part interview. So I'm sorry I'm, about that, guys. I apologize no. to everybody unconditionally. I love it. This is like a, it's your story is epic. So it deserves two parts. So when we first started talking with you, you were a young man writing music in Atlanta and your teacher said to you, you better have a fallback plan because people don't actually make a living doing this. He said only, he said, um, he said, quote, unquote, only 1% people make it in the music business and you're not that 1%. Wow. I hope we could go back to the school and visit him. No, he ended up um he ended up dying. Like he ended up slipping right outside of the classroom and he broke his neck. And he died oh. like yeah, like later, like a couple Yikes. I was I was I wasn't at the school anymore, but it happened like a few years after I had already left the school, left, left Tri Cities. But he wow. ended up yeah, Damn. he ended up like the final destination really freaky, like freaky type shit. Oh my god. That's horrible. Well, um this is I wish, you know, I wish he was here. Well, look, you've you've your career has sort of been uncharacteristically defined by a lot of things that don't typically happen. So, after you started getting a lot of success with um, the world of you know one twelve, and I, I imagine were you like in like the Diddy world at that point? Like, what was going on? Like, what was the next thing that happened? No, I was never. I was never really in the Diddy world. I always always kind of like worked with artist that was signed to Bad Boy. Um, had a lot of respect for him. I never really said anything. I remember him telling me he thought I was a security guard <laughs> um, for a while. Because <laughs> I never said anything, you know. I was quiet back then. Um, I would say happy birthday, but I was still quiet. And um, then finally, I wrote some I wrote some songs for his group called Dream. I don't know if you, if you remember. Oh, yeah, they were like a female, like, uh, girl group or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote some records, and then he called me and was like, you have arrived. And I was just like, I have arrived. And this was like 2002, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and he was like, you have arrived. I was like, wow, okay. I was like, I was like, pup, I used to, I was like, I wrote uh, songs with 112 back, like, when I was 17, 16 yeah. years old. He's like, oh, I remember. He said, I thought you were secure. I thought you were their security. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will say that is well, something that Jared and I have never been confused for. Yeah. Security Poo guards, bodyguards. Pooh and I are like polar opposites. It's amazing how long we've been friends. But like, I will tell everybody who who doesn't ask how great I am. I'll tell people what I do. <laughs> I'll like, I'll be like, hey, I'm Jingle Jared. Like, I'll tell people who like have nothing to do with anything, but. Pooh, everywhere we go, is very unassuming. And I've realized, you know, just from the lessons <laughs> I've learned from different people, that, like, by him not saying things, it also makes the clients yeah. and the people we work with extremely, you know, uh, afraid of him. And also, they earn into his <laughs> respect. Like, people will go up to him and be like, oh, Desposito's my favorite song. And you'll be like, oh, thank you. But I would be like, more, more, more. Give me more. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, you know, so... So Nobody I know that 
it, the entire <laughs> and that's what Pooh Bear always says to me. He's like, no one cares. Like whenever I introduce him in meetings, like it's the guy who wrote this. In like, reality, thing. in real life, nobody really cares about anything. They kind of just want to go home and you know what mm-hmm. I mean, do what they really want to do. Mm-hmm. When you really think about it, I'm in, in, in the brutes in the brutal honesty, a uh, harsh reality of everything. Um, nobody really cares. Sad enough. That's very true. Um, uh, but, you know, so, you know, just to ca- tell us what happens, like, as quickly as you can between th- that era and then sort of the dark period where things weren't jamming as, as well as you oh, would like. Oh, them. yeah. I would say from that point. So we could go from there, from um, 2002. That was after, uh, yeah, that was post uh, Peaches and Cream. I just did Peaches and Cream. And from there, it was Dance With Me. Then after that, it was like, I, I kind of uh, ended up in Miami meeting two producers named Dre and Vidal. They ended up um, working out of uh, Philadelphia, um, and produced artists like Jill Scott, Music Soul Child, and the whole, they created Neo Soul, that sound, Drammed mm-hmm. Out there. And uh, so they ended up, you know, having flying me up there to Philly, and I worked, and it was still, you know, um, it was still, it was slow. It wasn't that, it was kind of slow. I was just building and growing and building relationships and ended up working with Glenn Lewis and um, Jill Scott, and she ended up leaving me singing on some stuff. And, um, and then um, from there, you know, to, to go, a little bit to skip ahead to uh, to Usher, you know, with uh, the album Confessions, you know, that was another uh, turning, huge turning point in my career um, with um, Dre and Vidal and Ryan Toby. And we did those, we did those records with Usher. That's a diamond album, right? That's a diamond no, record. It was double, double diamond. We did wow. like, like 24 million albums on that um, worldwide. Um, what songs were on that record? Can you just give me like a couple Caught of Caught Up hits? was on there. Yeah, caught up is the weird one that we did. Um, Superstar. Um, oh yeah, come follow me. But and then there was the record. Then it was, of course, there was Yeah, which was the first single. Let, oh it, my burn. God. Let it burn. Wait, did you write on Yeah? Confessions. I did not write. I did not write on Yeah. Okay. No, no, I did. Um, but let it we, burn. We did uh, caught up, Superstar, and come follow me. Those were the three that yeah. we did. But the thing was, we did those records about him and Chili when they were together and it, it took two years to do that album. So by the time the album came out, halfway through the recording, they had broke up, they had split up and I was like, oh no, our music's not going to make it anymore. They're not mm-hmm. even together. Um, but it ended up making it and that was a turning point. Um, Caught Up ended up being like the fifth single and it still, you know, went like, I want to say one top, uh, top 20 on the hot one, top 15 on the hot 100. Um, which was that's rare crazy. for an album to, you know, ha- have five singles that really, you know, you know, did that much. So um, then that from there, I ended up going to Miami, man. And that's when I ended up working with um, Scott Storch. Scott Storch. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and mind you, um, I was engaged, you know, at this time I was engaged and I was, you know, in a relationship for a while and, we were, you know, we were vow- we had vowed to kind of be, we were being abstinent, you know, just to be honest, you know, until we got married. Um, and um, I was able to do that for two years, you know, just being honest. And um, I think she went, she was, a, she did it the entire time. I mean, you know, wow. she really did it. Um, I But I moved to South Beach, to Miami. So it was just <laughs> hard, you know. I didn't know. 
what it was really like to live there. Um, but then working with Scott Storch, you know, who at that time was the, the you know biggest producer in, in the world, um, and, and and working with him and writing and you know, and from that point, you know, really having so much loyalty and and um, being loyal to a to a fault, you know, and um, where I was promised in contracts, you know, certain amount of of, of things and certain amount of really um, salary in order, mm-hmm. you know, for me to stop working with other producers, yeah. you know, I would, yeah, I would do that if I know that I'm going to be able to cover, you know, my, my overhead, my, my bills, my mom's house, you know, my properties. And um, so we came up with a deal and then ultimately he just, you know, he never kept that end of the deal. And, you know, as things were, you know, sp- you know, spiraling slowly, spiraling slowly mm-hmm. down, mm-hmm. um, I, I stayed around, you know, even until they, you know, they took everything. I, I watched them take everything he had. That's like an infamous story. Like, I mean, yeah. it's sort of public knowledge now that, like, that's like one of the biggest flameouts from the highest high from, a, you know, him to like the lowest low, like literally losing everything. Yeah, I was there, you know, I was there. And um, I mean, it, it was just a lot of learning experiences. And for me, you know, I was blessed to have um, written a few hit songs. So, I had some royalties still coming twice a year, but it was still a time in my life where, you know, I lost the property, you know, and I was like, you know, I was like, like 20, I was like 27 years old, you know, 20, yeah, I was 27 years old, lost the property and I had to end up starting over, you know what I mean? And, you know, came to LA and was like sleeping in studios and, you know, just starting my life, starting over and I refused to go back to, I refused to go back to Atlanta and be like comfortable. I wanted to force myself to be uncomfortable so I could just just work and, and work as hard as I possibly could to get myself out of the the, um, the predicament that I was in. And um, that was like, you know, for me, just having, just being able to to, to have some, some success and, and make some money and, and still, you know, have, like I said, I would still get royalties twice a year, but then it was on, the, on top of this, guys, Somebody wants that. Somebody sues and says um, because of a song caught up. This girl that we never met says that we stole it from her. And so in America, if somebody mm. you know they sue you, you have to That's it. You know, counter sue. You got to hire get an attorney. And so they froze my they froze my the publishing company at the time uh-huh. froze, froze my royalties for two years. Um, and just to and and it never even went to trial. Um, the, the judge was like, the only similarities in these songs are this title. It's the same mm-hmm. title. And there's 800 other caught ups um, <laughs> in, in D.C. <laughs> and so and the crazy this girl, thing this, about this girl was notorious for this. Yeah, and she did it to Y Club. She did it to us. She did it to a, mm-hmm. a couple people. But um, it just that it was like all during the same time. So it was like, man, I'm not really I. I, I was at the bottom of I was at the bottom. And and as a kid, I was being I was homeless. And it was like now it was like, all right, I had an opportunity where I could have went home to Atlanta with my mom to a house that I have, you know, paid for. But then it was like, no, I wanna be uncomfortable. I wanna grind. I wanna like I'm gonna be I'm gonna I'm gonna be homeless, you know, sleep in different places and, and it wasn't to where I was sleeping outside, you know what I mean? It wasn't that bad, you know what I'm saying? But it was just a studio. Uh, a friend's couch, you know, Dude, and um, who, when I, when you and I worked in that studio where we wrote, um, 
yeah. we're just getting started. You pointed to the couch and you were like, when Pooh walks into a studio in LA, that's like, it, it's a thing where like, everyone's like, oh, Pooh's here, Pooh's here. The room's got to be right. The the cookies got to be delivered, like everything. But Pooh, we went to the studio, uh, Electric Field, and he pointed, he goes, Jared, I used to like sleep on that couch. I like, <laughs> would stay late at the session and just to like, because you keep insane hours, like you never stop working. No, it's like 20, you know, 19 hours, 20 hours, and I would work, 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 and then everybody would go leave, and I would stay in there and sleep and get up and then go over to my friends and take a shower, you know, and, um, you know, just, you know, and I had a couple, you know, Ali was somebody who was, you know, was was there, you know, and wow. I ended up going to Vegas from there um, and um, going to Vegas and really working and, and turning and I had an idea. I was like, you know what? I don't want to make Vegas a place where, you know, where songs, some hit songs can come out of here and people can come here not just to to gamble and have fun, but to actually party and be able to work and record. And um we we kinda we did that with um future music. You know, we created a label and um that's where I uh, created a girls group named Edamami and um that I yeah. kind of <laughs> <wanted> to do. <laughs> And, um, you know, the, put the girls group together and the lead singer names Ashley Joy. And that's, you know, ended up, you know, being my wife and the mother of my <laughs> children. <laughs> nice. And, an, and another amazing writer. <laughs> yeah. And another vision, you know, another amazing writer. And she's, you know, uh, it's, and she's a singer. She's an amazing singer. Um, but, um, yeah, so they, they can you know, had the girls crew at a mommy there on the radio and, you know, the Chris Brown record, I Can Transform You, Beach Little Wayne. Back when nobody wanted to work with Chris Brown because he, he um, got into that altercation with, with Rihanna, um, I worked with him. Um, and then um, that was done. And then also uh, She Ain't You um, uh, and a couple of uh, other records done in Vegas at the studio to where it was like, okay, cool. We got some some really some really cool things happening out of Vegas. And then that's when Little Twist came by way of yeah. Cal Massey. Cal Massey from um In the House, um, mm-hmm. with, um with Raven Simone. Um he he invited Little Twist over. I heard Little Twist's voice and I was like, man, your boy, you probably your voice is dope. And I was like, the songs that he was playing me, I was like, man, the it could just be they could just be better wordplay and better lyrics and so i was like man i'm gonna write you a i'm gonna write you a song for your birthday you know so i wrote him a, a song um called contact um and he's playing it playing it, and then he was listening to my listening to my music because i just put out an uh, ep called beast to break up to um, it was all break up mm-hmm. a whole music a whole ep about breaking up and then from there he was like you know what man he said, um, I'm going to invite Justin Bieber over here. So he, he calls Justin. Justin flies in from L.A. to Vegas and stay, hangs out and stays at the house for like 24 hours. Didn't, we didn't leave the house for 24 hours. And um, and it was just hanging out and not even really listening to music, but just hanging out and being like, you know, being silly, man, and, and really um, ultimately – just doing nothing really, and then from there, he um, he uh, twist sent him some of my music, you know. And then like a few days later, I get a call from Justin calls me and he's like, "Hey, K, 
could you flip this record, this Craig David record called uh, Fill Me In? Can you flip it? Like, make a, like take the chords and make a new song. And um, I went in the studio and we did it. And like, I did it with the audibles in like 35 minutes. <laughs> and sent it to him. And um, he was like, can you come to Boston? And then that was, that was it. I went, he flew me to Boston and, and wow. he was on tour, on the Believe tour. And I stayed, he kind of like from there, you know, we, we cut that record in Boston and he, we, I stayed with him on the road uh, for about 13 months, for about a year and a month. We, we wrote, you know, we wrote journals and traveled around the world and recorded, we wrote, we wrote parts of journals in Bali and, and Bangkok and, you know, I mean, all around the world. And, and um, that's just crazy, the, the journey that I kind of went through to be to end up in Vegas, a random place in Vegas to like like everything in my life, like every all of the the ups, the downs, and the the you know from the tornadoes to being to hitting the bottom at in Miami and and having to start over. Everything led up to me being at the this this place in Vegas and um um right place guy, right know, time guy, yeah man um with a, a guy named jamal you know jamal rashid my, my my buddy um he was uh the person who i actually was doing the, the music label with and um just ended up you know from him being uh, through ali it's just crazy like so uh, and i and it's the way everything was connected it just i feel like Everything, every time something negative um, would happen, it just seemed like something really positive and great would come out of a negative situation, man. That's the, uh, you know, I kind of like now, I kind of look at everything like that, even right now with this, with this coronavirus, you know, so kind of just kind of looking and like, wow, what all the great things that could possibly come from this negative situation. Well, dude, it, it's crazy. So you said a few things there. One is for those who don't believe it or know it, I've been with Pooh Bear where, where he writes a song in under 30 minutes and he always says to me, Jared, if it doesn't happen immediately, it's really not happening. <laughs> and like, I, I wish that like the camera was rolling on every time I wrote with you because his brain will be like, write it literally syllable by syllable. And like, I was dumb enough to think that I could <laughs> engineer for Pooh Bear when we used to write. <laughs> and he'd be like, back um you know a baby hair a, a tiny <laughs> and i was like what's he yes. talking about but like the first after we wrote a few songs together i stopped engineering i was like you know what that's the hot seat i'll just play the guitar chords <laughs> and like let someone else do but Pooh can like yeah. he can go like this and if you're not keeping up with him like that it could be a little scary uh you know if you're not his engineer but his engineer sasha's a genius he's like Moves at the speed of they have a language their own, but the they, interesting like, thing we can't even call him an engineer anymore. He wasn't. Yeah, he's co-writes everything. He's produced, yeah. yeah, now man, Zach Brown, and he's got cuts on the new Bieber album. But yeah, when I yeah. I've seen him engineer like uh, oh yeah, um, unbelievable. Like that's that's but, telepathy. That's telepathy, right? Telepathy, there. Like, you know. And and but the interesting thing is that Pooh Bear, you know, once he was on that track with Bieber, the interesting thing is that. That record, Journals, though, is many people's favorite, but it didn't do as well as the one that would come, right? So yeah, we, did, we you, sold, did you get met with resistance? Sold, we, it went platinum. I mean, it, if we, when we say do as well, um, it didn't do as well as maybe, you know, they would have expect, expected. Just And it was that was a dark time for, for Justin. Um, you know, that was a time when the media was really 
tearing him down. And, you know, he was like, he was in a sense, like they're the way they kind of do Donald Trump right now. It was like they were sensationalizing a Justin Bieber story every day back then. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it was, those were hard times. And they didn't, they couldn't promote that album. They couldn't really mark, they didn't market it. And it was done you know, for, it was intentionally done to save his life and, you know what I mean, to really protect him from himself. And mm-hmm. it still, it still ended up selling, you know, over a million records for it. Wow. But at the same time, you know, it was that definitely purpose, the next album that came out after that, we ended up, you know, doing 14 million, you know, worldwide on, on purpose, so. And that's the album that really turned him, like, Look, he was already a star. He was, but that, that turned him into like Michael Jackson. So, like when yeah. I met Pooh, he was on that riding that wave. And you and I, you know, we met in a bar, and I was like, "There's no way that after you know I googled Pooh that Pooh's gonna want to, you know, slum it in the jingle world." <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you it's amazing because the album was out, the, all those songs, and I and and you started coming to the studio. And you're like, hey, you know, I guess because you had that experience of, you know, having, you know, uh, a career where, you know, it's hits driven. But we just created this weird lane where, you know, UFC, pro bull riding, wearing a banjo and all these things. It was like almost a hobby for like for you. But we, we had like a three, four year run where we consistently we were doing brand projects and then yeah. it all kind of culminated with our fake band, Bearing a Banjo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really cool, man. That's something that um I missed doing. We should probably do a new, another bear, like another album. Another bear I'm ready, bear. man. I want to do season two. When this TV show idea gets fired up, we should do a whole new record around it. And um, I always said, you know, for me, it was, you know, it's rare to be to be able to actually verbalize what you would want your perfect record to look like and then actually be able to be part of it. Because all I ever wanted to do was pick up an acoustic guitar or a banjo and make simple noises and then like your accompaniment on it. I listened to it. I mean, and even the Zac Brown remix that we did, like it just sounds so like what I like. It's all the parts of, you know, soul music and blues and, and folk music, but also all the parts Parts of like Zeppelin and the White Stripes and all these different things that are, you know, that grew out of, you know, that kind of folk music. I I just love it. Yeah, it turned out really, it turned out really great, man. I'm just glad we didn't, you know, I'm glad we did it the way we did it and, you know, treated it like, you know, the way, the way I, the way I started off doing music was just pure like hobby, like the love of liking to see what, I can actually what it sounds like at the end of it. Like, what is it gonna sound like at the end of it? And and it turned into a career. And then doing that project with you, it was like it was fun again. It was fun again. And it wasn't it wasn't money driven. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was like literally, uh, um, uh, uh, like a, like an out like an exit for me or a, a fantasy world that I could live in and be like, wow, all right, I'm this character now, and I'm you know, and I can sing these type of records. And nobody could judge me, and I don't feel insecure about it because I'm not being serious, you know. So it was like it was cool. So I, um, it, it was refreshing to be able to do that. And I'm now I'm at a place where we could do something like that in like ten days. You know what I'm saying? We could Probably. do an album in ten days. Yeah, of course we could. When you guys Let's get back go, together, man. when you guys get back to the studio, I got some tunes. Got some suggestions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Zach, Zach. All right. Well, we got to work with Bob Dylan, so we'll go from Dylan to Zach. 
to Zachariah. Definitely. Who, um, I, you were you were right before COVID. Give us the catch up. So you were on tour with Zach. What's yeah. next? Tell us what's because <laughs> Zach Zach Brown brought Pooh out on tour. He was yes. performing every night, and then the uh, the shit hit the fan. It was a five city tour. <laughs> it was a five city wow. tour. Um, I did last the fifth night. I just finally had an amazing time. I decided not to use in ears. You know, everybody was forcing me to use in ears. And then, and then Zach was like, we're probably not going to be back out on the road for two years. Um, and I was like, whoa. Um, so then from there, you know, I went into, you know, I had already, purchased, Zach had already just sold me like uh, 16.3 acres of his land uh, for a uh, lake for a property for my mom. So I was just thinking, you know, you know, Zach went into farming mode. He went and started farming and planting. He was like, I started ordering dry foods and um, just kind of preparing. I looked at it like this was a fire drill. And it's like, all right, I kind of don't want my family to be like where we live. is like you could just see our house from like every angle and we're just kind of sitting there. And in my mind, I was going straight to the movies, like when, you know, they close the grocery stores down and they're going to come, people are going to be coming, trying to come yep. and take your food and break. <laughs> so in my mind, I was like, all right, this is this one place I don't want to be is LA. If everything shuts down and people can't get food and, and money stops circulating and it's going to be crazy here. And I was like, I'm just going to go to Atlanta. Uh, then, then, I, then I was like, you know what, even better than that, I'm going to go to the Bahamas. And I'm going to get stem cells for me and my dad and my mom and my wife and my mother-in-law and my mother-in-law's fiance to boost everybody's immune system to fight this virus. Um, and, and my father's 78 years old just to help with his, his joints and everything. So we went to the Bahamas. We went to Atlanta for two days. My mom was in the hospital. Um, they wouldn't let, we, they, stopped, they stopped visitation altogether. So um, we just went ahead and went to the Bahamas and was just waiting for my mom to get out to be able to send, send my plane back to pick her up so she can come and get her stem cells done. Um, the, the, she never, they never let her out the hospital. So we ended up staying in the Bahamas for like basically three weeks, man. And um, I, I just remember when we were about to leave you know, that week, I'm like, yep, we're, we're going to be leaving on Friday. We're leaving on Friday. Every day, the, the, the private the FBO was like, cool, cool, every day. And then, like, the day of that we're supposed to leave on Friday, at 3 p.m., we get a letter saying, um, our, my, my pilots cannot fly in and get off the pri a private jet and walk 10 steps to get on my private plane because the virus is airborne. And I'm like, so they're like, the only way you guys can leave is you have to charter another plane. That plane has to come in and land. Those pilots cannot get off the plane. You, you, and, you and your family have to get on the plane, and then you guys just take off and leave. That's the only way. And I'm like, and you got to leave your airplane here. So I ended up having to do that, you know, having to book a whole nother jet. Um, and um, they shut the borders down two hours before we were supposed to leave, three o'clock. And they were like, oh, yeah, the borders closed at 5 p.m. And I'm like, why, why did you guys tell us every day that it was okay? And that our, my pilots, like, my pilots communicate with you every day, you know, just mm -hmm. reconfirming. And then two hours before, no, they're like, no, they're not letting, you're, they're not letting your pilots fly in. So 
we had to fly, you know. Um, I did book a jet thing. We went and went to L.A. My mom was at the hospital finally. Went to Vegas, picked up some herbs for my mom and went to Atlanta. And we hunkered down in, in Atlanta for two months. Damn. And by the way, wow. that was the last time we spoke to you. It was March 31st. And yeah. now it's like, I couldn't believe it. It's May something, something. Wow. I yeah. don't even know what, what today. So we have been, to put things in perspective, so March, April, May. It's been three months Unbelievable. Since, since we've all been in hunker down mode. But now you're back. And are you back in, in the studio? Are you writing right now? What are you doing? Yeah, well, the, the, the good thing is, like, I, I'm, I'm always, I kept writing. I was, I was uh, working in a studio in the Bahamas. I wrote a couple of really great big records. Um, and then I was able to be in a studio in Atlanta and Buckhead working um, and writing and writing. Now I'm back in LA. I haven't been to the studio, but I'm going to go tomorrow. And I'm um, just, you know, just, just to stay, man, I got to keep writing and, mm-hmm. and keep writing. And, you know, I had a lot of theories of what's going on. Theories on what's going on right now. <laughs> so <laughs> people are freaking out, but that's like, look, uh, Pooh, you know, as long as I've known you, um, you know, every every time he goes, hey, man, let me just play you something. It always is like two months before, like the biggest thing ever. He played me uh, a Desposito, the demo with his voice on it before it came out. You played me the, the Ed Sheeran one, I don't care, when we were working on Bear and a Banjo. Oh, so, yeah, and, and, and I'm listening to it. And, you know, Brian, who used to work for my, my old company with me, heard it and he goes, Dude, he's like, we left the thing. He goes, does Pooh often just play you like these songs before? I was like, yeah, but it's not like Pooh doesn't play like a whole record. Like the way most artists are like, yo, listen to my whole record. He'll play me the song and that's the song. You know what I mean? Like, that's the song you'll hear nonstop in your car for like a year. And I think I'm the one and, you know, these other ones that you play me in. And the whole stories about like how you were like, you know, called in on, just tell us this last thing about how quickly Desposito came together because that is my favorite story. Um, well, that was, I mean, that was the, that was the quickest turnaround I've ever been a part of in my whole career. That was, a, um, a call of, a call first from Justin. I'm saying he loved this record. I want to flip this record. I want to, I want to flip this record. Then Scooter Braun hit me. It was like, Hey, um, Justin wants to flip it, but he wants to do it in Spanish. Can you write it in English? And then I wrote it in English. And, um, I remember that was on... April tenth, because it's my, it was my one my one year anniversary. anniversary. Yeah, it was one year, and um, you know we were, you know, and my wife was pregnant, and I took her on a helicopter to San Diego for dinner, and then we came back that night and went in the record plant at midnight, and I had to Google and see what Despacito what they were talking about, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what's this going on. And I, and I kind of don't really want to do this, but I'm going to knock it out. And I'm going to try to make as much sense out of this in English as possible. <laughs> and, and and did it, you know, and did it, probably did it, like, like honestly, probably like 25 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, the, the, the verse. Um, and then it came out probably, um, um, and then, oh, then I know Justin FaceTimed me. He was, you know, he had tears coming down his face. Man, I, was honestly, I knew it was really special, you know what I mean? And um, then from there, I think he, he cut it immediately. And it, he, he cut it. He was in Bogota. He cut it in Colombia. Um, and then it came out. I want to say it came out four days later. 
or something like that. It was quick. The whole thing was like the way you, you know, you told me, hey, I'm doing this thing. And then like next thing I know, it's on every station and like billions of streams. And like that really kind of, again, like Bieber's had so many phases to what he's done. And then he kind of was in between album cycles. And then all of a sudden it's like, one. it was like just smash after smash. Yeah, well, I love um, that, that record we had um okay so i'm the one debuted at number one and then i, I remember despacito the original was like number 49 on the hot 100 then we then, then we did the remakes um and it came out on a friday and it, it jumped from 49 to number nine on the hot 100 in one week and then um and then from there it went to number two and I'm the one that debuted number one. And then I'm the one only stayed number one for one week because Despacito remix mm-hmm. made not num- I'm the one to number two. And we switched places with ourselves. And that was like, um, and then Insane. that was, yeah, and that was in between albums. That was in between albums. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, <laughs> your, your, your old teacher, rest in peace, he was wrong. Um, but, um, <laughs> You know, I think that, that uh, the yeah, I love that, by the way. I just want to make sure everybody drinks H-Factor. I'm really proud um, to be... I love it. Um, be, a, be a part owner of this company. I'm really, really proud of this. And it's important, man. It's really life-changing. It has hydrogen in it. Um, so it means it's going to help you to heal faster. Um, it has, um, helps to engage enzymes and activate antioxidants. I love that. By the way, I nice. love all his businesses. He has Black Star Burger. He has the Black Star Studio. He has the water company. Poo's into all this amazing stuff. And the one thing that I've learned from Poo Bear. 3D Live. 3D yes. Live. The, 3D Live. The, we're coming. The big, big thing that I've learned from Pooh Bear, if I learn one lesson from every person, is it's not over the story unless you say it's over. And there's been many times in my career where I thought, man, that's not as bad as like when Pooh told me he lost his house in a tornado or slept on yeah. a couch or, and, and, and the story's not over till you say it's over. That's, that's really nope. the simple thing. Never. Love it. Never, never, Jared. Never, it's never over, man. And it's just starting out. It's just starting to get weird. The sad part is um, the state that we're in, um, it's like, for us, we would call this punishment, being on punishment, you know, like you can't go outside, you're, you're grounded, right? And then mm-hmm. for and for our kids now, for our kids, for our kids to grow up, this is not, this is going to be a state of reality. This is going to be normal, like not to really go out that much, you know what I'm saying? And just, you know, for me, it hurts to see, like, I want my kids to, to really experience life the way I just recently started experiencing it, and um, you know, none, nonetheless, they're too young to really remember this. So it will be their new state of reality. But just for me, mm-hmm. thinking about it, I just feel bad. I just w- want them to be able to experience life the way it was, you know, pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. My 15-year-old and my 13-year-old, I can tell it's really affected them a lot. Like, they're not, they, you know, they're really confused about it. But my little ones 
are like your kid's age and they're just like flocking around the house together. Not yeah. Really what's up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. this new normal is not normal because it's like I was picking up food today and I was thinking people can't tell if I'm smiling or frowning under my thing nope. and I'm a people pleaser. So I was like, man, someone's gonna have to invent masks with lights on it <laughs> that like smiles or frown yeah. so people know if you're upset because it's all yeah. in your eyes now. That's the crazy thing. Like I was trying to like be like, I actually went out of my way to over tip on paper because I couldn't, they couldn't see the smile. Like it's so yeah. strange. Yeah. That, you know, that's what I've been doing. Like when I go to the grocery store, like, um, I just see the workers or like when I first walk in, I see the, the young lady or me or man and they're, they're disinfecting all the, all the, um, the stroller, the things that you push, the, the, the buckets, the baskets that you push. The shopping and carts. Dis- the shopping yeah. carts. <laughs> I don't know why that I just went back to like the <laughs> 1930s or some of that shit. The basket, the buckets, the, the baskets with the wheels. What? <laughs> yeah, those wheels. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, but all those for me, for those people, like I know that they're already taking a, a pay cut already just because of what's going on. So those are the people that, like, when I walk in, I see that I give them a hundred dollars. I see so like when I'm checking out and the the guy that's the kid or the guy that's bagging my love, my bagging my my food up. You know, and the person who's ringing me up, I'll give him a hundred dollars. I'll give him a hundred dollars. And I, and for me, like, I just know, like, it makes me feel amazing just to know, like, you know what? That was maybe something that they wouldn't have made today that maybe they could get some food or whatever it is that they need. I just hope that I like, it just made their day, you know? So it's like this time, it's been a time like this where, I haven't really been able, like, besides giving out, you know, besides burgers and and trying to do give give burger giveaways, you know, at, at Black Star on certain days when we could be open, um, you know, that's the little bit of a little bit that we could do. I, I can do. Um, besides, I donated to like Best Buddies. You know, I'm, I'm a part of the Best Buddy program now, um, and and that's that that's pretty cool. But it's just you know, this situation is definitely. It's crazy because of that it has anything that you do for 30 days is a program. Um, and now we're in, you know, we just got extended in LA, what, till July. So July. that becomes six, anything that's six months is a lifestyle. So now it's really about to be a reality. And um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of businesses, I just think, I just think everything's going to be different. I mean, you, know, uh, unfortunately, you and I think the same. I, I, not to get too grim here, but the world's just going to be different. It's a reshuffling of the deck. But, um, you know, this is, uh, I did this master class thing and, you know, this occupational therapy because, you know, I was supposed to be teaching, doing a little bit of stuff at NYU this semester. And this ended up becoming my coursework contribution. So I just wanted to thank you for telling your story on here. I think that anyone who listens to this is going to understand more about you and more about what it takes to, you know, whether they're a writer, an entrepreneur, a restaurateur, or just a whatever human being, it is. you know, yeah, just to like yep. how you keep going. And, uh, you know, before we go, I'll let Zach weigh in as my occupational therapist. So what do you think? Uh, is this the next career for me, doing what Pooh does? And you could easily do this. You're already kind of doing it, you know, writing songs. You could get it. I've seen you produce, you're great. You know, you work with some great bands. And what I love most about the story, Pooh, was hearing how you got somewhere you thought, oh, now I'm I'm here, I've made it. And then like very quickly, it was taken away from you. I think you anyone never make who's- it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you never, never really- make it. A lot of people in entertainment, entertainment think, I'm just gonna swoop in, get the bag and 
live forever and that's not no, how it works. doesn't work like that no way no it's just a blessing to still be able to most people learn that lesson and then they just learn it and end up having to really get a real job you know after being and uh having a lot of money um so it's just a blessing to be able to to go through that stuff and and be able to see the bottom i mean and start off i know really poor with my mom and my brother. That's that that really helped me a lot, man. Just helped like not having anything helped me just really appreciate. And of course you kinda lose your mind when you get you first start making a little money because you want everything that you always that you never had growing up. But then, you know, that's where the blessing comes in where, you know, if you do you do what most people do from my culture is just spend a lot of money, being able to do it again and, and learn from it and be able to say, okay, this time I'm going to do this and I'm going to invest in this. And I'm going to like, so it's just a blessing to be able to have a second and, you know, third chance at making, at making better decisions. You know, it's just not normal. Well, I love it, man. Uh, you are one of the most magical people I've ever met and you've changed my life. So I'm hoping somebody will listen to this and feel like they'll take away some great lessons here. We really appreciate you being on the show and let's do bear and banjo part two. I'm going to hit you off live. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna do it. I'm down. Happy birthday! Thanks, guys. <laughs> nice meeting you. All right, Zach. Happy birthday! Nice meeting you, man. Happy birthday! Yes, sir. All right, Jerry. <laughs> Bye, everyone. See you.